I'm reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Good morning. We just came back from a pastoral staff and elder retreat the last three days up in McCall. And uh, I just want to tell you, it was a wonderful time of being together. Fifteen of us gathered and studied the Word together, spent a lot of time in prayer, had fun together, uh, worshipped the Lord in song, and just built relationships together in the Lord. And uh, what a privilege it is for me to be on this staff. And I think uh, we can thank God for the leadership team that God's put together here at Cole. It's a great blessing, but we can always use your prayers. So thank you for that. Well, one thing we all have in common in this room is we've all had parents. They may not be alive anymore for some of us, but uh, we've all had parents. I am a child of parents. I'm also a parent of children. And maybe next to marriage, those relationships, me with my parents and me with my children, have been the most significant relationships in my life, especially used by God to deal with the own issues of my own heart, my own selfishness, my own soul. And I think that's true maybe for all of us here. As we've wrestled with those relationships with parents and with children, just let's see a show of hands. How many of you had perfect parents? Oh, wow, nobody. Well, that's true. The only one that had perfect parents were Adam and Eve. And they still rebelled. What does that tell you? (laughs) The relationship of children to parents and parents to children, very complex. I talk to adults, even later in life, who are still struggling with their relationship with their parents, even when their parents aren't alive seeking somehow to get their approval or longing, longing to have what they never had from their parents. I talk to parents who feel tremendous pressure in their parenting to turn out perfect kids. There was an article in Christianity Today recently called The Myth of the Perfect Parent. It said this, More than any other generation, today's parents are worried sick that they will mess up their children's lives. A massive 2006 study revealed that parents post significantly higher rates of depression than adults without children. Judith Warner's 2005 book, Perfect Madness, Motherhood in an Age of Anxiety, captured the national obsession with successful parenting and its overwrought attempts to secure happiness and success for our offspring and, by extension, for ourselves as parents. When Jeannie and I first found out that we were going to have our first child, friends of ours decided to bless us with a weekend seminar 
on how to have genius kids. <laughs> so we showed up at the seminar and uh, <laughs> so we showed up at the seminar and, and much of it was about right brain versus left brain and how you can teach your kids to read by age three and all this stuff. And so we're just like new parents, you know, we're just like, okay, how do we how do we apply all this? Although I will say there's really only one thing we remember from the whole weekend. And that is, they told us that uh, there's a lot to deal with right brain and left brain, and, and that whatever, you're, if your child's left-handed or right-handed, they should be totally one or the other. Otherwise, they'll be neurologically disorganized. <laughs> Didn't really know what that was, but it sounds bad. <laughs> but what, I, what I'm sitting there and realizing, I'm pretty ambidextrous. So what does that tell you? <laughs> so I found out I was neurologically disorganized, but I'm not sure what that means. But it explains probably a lot about me. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 today. And we're in this section of Ephesians that has to do with walking, sit, walk, stand. How do we walk in this new life? God's done amazing things for us. He's changed us, redeemed us, called us, made us His children seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, how do we live that out in this crazy world in which we live? And we've looked at a lot of different things up to now. Last week, last couple of weeks, we looked at marriage and how we are to live in this new humanity in our marriage relationships. And so today we're talking about parenting, how we deal with our parents, how we deal with our children. How does the life of Christ, as we learn to be filled with the Spirit, depend on Him, how will this be expressed in how we relate to our parents and to our children? How will the Spirit lead us in those relationships? And let me just say, I think this passage may be surprising to you. I do think it's meant to free us up. Free us up from the pressures the world puts on us on how we should relate to parents and to children. So let me pray and we'll look together at this passage. Lord, we long to be your people and to let you live through us in your power, by your Spirit. May you teach us today more what it means to love and honor our parents and to love our children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now a reminder that this whole section of relationships, specific relationships, begins in 521, which says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. So what this passage is really teaching us is how we as children submit to parents and how we as parents submit to our children. Interesting, isn't it? But that's really the context here. How, parent, how children submit to parents, how parents submit to children. So let's look at how children submit to parents first. As I said, our relationship with our parents tends to be pretty complex. We all, if we take time to think about it, and we're really honest about what goes on in our hearts, we have pain in our relationship with our parents. They let us down. They didn't love us like we longed to be loved. We may have had pretty good parents. We may have had neglectful and abusive parents. Broken marriages. But in any case, there is pain. 
there's disappointment because we live in a fallen world. Some of us have deep wounds from our relationship with our parents, deep anger, deep resentment that still simmers and boils up now and then. Some of us just live in denial. Oh, yeah, I had great parents, and we never look at the reality of the pain that's there. So when Christ gets a hold of us, and we're beginning to walk in the Spirit, how will he lead us to relate to our parents, no matter what age we are? How will he lead us to relate to our parents? Well, Paul gives us two commands in these first three verses. Obey and honor. Obey and honor. And I want to highlight something here. Notice that Paul addresses the children directly. And I think from the little children on, this tells us something about the early church communities he's writing to. That children were an integral part of the church community. That they're to be treated with dignity. They're there to be appreciated. That they are seen as an important, integral part of our life together as the body of Christ. So I think that's very important that we see that. Now, the first commandment, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 1. This word obey is the word hupakuo in Greek. It means to, the root of it is to listen under. To listen carefully, to hear, and then respond to what you've heard. To place yourself under what you have heard. To respond accordingly. To live out what your parents ask. This is how children are to respond or submit to parents. Obey what they ask of you. But notice there's a bit of a qualification there. It says, obey your parents in the Lord. What does this mean? I I think what he's saying here is he's saying, children, what's first and most important for you is your relationship with the Lord. And that obeying your parents, responding well to your parents will be an outgrowth of your submission and obedience to God first. So I encourage all of us as children, no matter what age, to first of all focus on a relationship to Him because it's out of that that we're able to respond in a healthy way, obedient way, to our parents. It comes out of our obedience to Christ. It has much more to do with your attitude, how you're responding to the Lord and your parents, than it does just specific behaviors in every case. And I think the question is then, well, if it's a response to the Lord, what if our parents ask us to do something that's contrary to the Lord? Well, that puts you in a difficult place because really our response to our parents should grow out of our response to the Lord. So they're interrelated. It's not that easy to just choose one or the other. And you can't say, well, I don't have to obey my parents because, typically. I know of people who have been commanded, ordered by their parents to not go to church because their parents were against it when they were still in the home. My encouragement to them was, obey your parents. Don't go to church. But your parents can't keep you from praying, from reading the Word on your own, even if it's secretly. In other words... You've got to foster your relationship with the Lord first and foremost. Worship God 
And where you can, in every case, unless you're at, your parents absolutely ask you to do something totally immoral, obey your parents. Now, why is this so important to Paul? Why, why would even mention this here? The children need to do that, respond to their parents. Well, because I think we're all naturally rebellious. <laughs> and part of learning to grow up in a way where we can submit to the very life of Christ himself, submit to our Heavenly Father, submit to the authorities that are placed in our lives, whether it's at work or elsewhere, is learning to obey our parents first. That's where we learn to put shoe leather to dying to our own rebellious attitudes and learning to submit and follow the authorities in our life. It begins with our parents. And that's why it's so important because children who never learn to obey their parents are really going to have a tough time in work later in life. They're going to have a really tough time submitting to the Lord later in life. So all of us as children obey our parents as part of preparing ourselves to respond to a world of authorities that we will face throughout our lives. So it's the best place to develop a Christ-like submissive heart. So obey your parents. Secondly, honor your father and mother. What does honor mean? Honor means to give weight to, literally. It means to, to value, to uh, listen, to value their ideas, their needs, their wisdom. You see, youths tend to despise their parents, right? And, and think they know more than their parents and their parents are just old and don't understand it. And You've heard the old Mark Twain quote. It's a wonderful one, I think, and it applies Mark Twain said, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> That's the attitude of youth, isn't it? But as Christian children, we are exhorted to honor our parents, to keep honoring them. And notice that it says, Honor your father and mother. Both parents are to be honored equally. There are plenty of, plenty of families where the mother is demeaned, considered not as important or as valuable. That's wrong. There are plenty of families in today's culture where the father is seen as a fool or a buffoon. And you just watch any sitcom today pretty much and that's the norm. But notice the command to Christian children is honor both equally. Honor them. Yeah, they're not perfect, but honor them anyway. Learn to show equal value and respect for both parents. But as a bit of an aside here, I just want to say this. You make it a lot easier on your children, parents, if you as parents, father and mother, are of one heart and one mind in how you deal with your children. If you are responding differently and each of you is going a different direction and you're, you, what you do is you cause your children to disrespect at least one and probably both parents. You make it that much harder for them. But when you are united so that every time they come to you, what they'll hear is either, well, we have decided or let me ask your mother or your father, before I make a decision. In other words, you're together in every case. That will make it that much easier for children to honor their father and mother. 
Now, there's probably a question in the back of your minds. This is real common in this passage, and I understand it's a good question. How long should a child obey their parents? Up to what age? Well, in the Greco-Roman world in which this was written, at least in expositor's commentary, they said the writings of the day said that fathers are the authority and they're to be obeyed until the fathers either die or turn 60. Every culture, I understand, is a little different in how they emphasize this and how long you should obey and all of that. Um, But it's, you know, when you say, okay, well, what about biblically? What does the Bible have to say about it? The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it. The only reference I could really find is where, uh, in the chapter before, where it talks about marriage and it says, when a man gets married... You should leave your father and mother. You leave the authority of your parents when you commit to being married and you start a new place of authority, a new nuclear family. So you step out from under the obedient relationship with your parents at that point. I think it's safe to say, no matter what age you are, you will always honor God first. But do what you can, no matter what age you are, to honor your parents. Maybe not obey everything they suggest, but to honor them. And I think this probably means even into old age, and as they get needy, I think it means taking care of them. Scripture reflects that, that we as children are responsible to take care of our elderly parents. Now, our culture is not good at that. We stick... Old folks in a home and just don't even want to see them. It's atrocious how many people are in our care centers, even in our community, and never get visited by family. But I am impressed by this body. How many of you are working hard to do what you can to love your parents in the best way you can? We have a whole ministry, Caring for Aging Parents. Many of you have been involved in that. I encourage you to be involved in that if you're struggling with that. It's a great place to get together and learn more about how to care for aging parents. I think that's part of honoring your parents. But essentially, it's having an attitude towards your parents, no matter what age they are, of thankful, appreciative honor, giving them weight. This may mean wrestling through forgiveness. It doesn't mean you'll necessarily be close, because I understand there's a lot of brokenness in families. But it does mean in your heart learning to have a thankful, appreciative, forgiving attitude towards them. Why? Why should we do this? Three reasons given in this passage. Number one, he says, because it's right. It's how God designed the universe. It's God's will. Secondly, because it's given to us in Scripture. He quotes the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. It's commanded in Scripture. So we should do it. Third, he says it's a commandment with a promise. If you do this, if you honor your parents, you will live long. You will be blessed and you will live long in the land. It may be well with you, in other words. It leads to blessing. Now, I don't think this is a guarantee, promise, that you'll live longer if you honor your parents necessarily. But see, when we choose to have a rebellious, angry attitude and hang on to that, what it does is it leads to unnecessary pain, conflict, 
and destruction in our own hearts and our own lives. So it's an area that we need to deal with. But if we want God's blessing, however long we live on earth, then we need to have an attitude of respect, honoring, forgiving our parents. So cultivate an obedient, honoring heart, he says. Now he only gives one verse on parenting. One verse. Verse 4. Interesting to me. In fact, I think that's kind of frustrating, right? God, we need more information on how to parent. (laughs) How do we be good parents? I want to raise my kids well. I want to be able to do it right. And there's plenty of books out there that will tell you, right? I mean, you could find hundreds of books on the principles of parenting and how to do it all right. Interesting that the Bible doesn't give a whole lot of principles. It really doesn't. I think that's very important. (laughs) I think it's God's design so that we learn to rely not so much on principles but we learn to rely on the Lord and how we love our kids. And that we learn to treat every child uniquely for who they are, not try to fit them into a box because that ends up being unloving to our children. So in this culture, fathers, I think it's addressed specifically to fathers because fathers tended to not be involved in the parenting at all in this culture. They left it to the the mothers or the nannies, nurses, whomever, but the fathers were not involved. But as we look at these principles, I think they apply to both fathers and mothers. Okay? Fathers needed the exhortation more. But you may be a grandparent who's involved in grandkids' lives. You may be a significant other. You may not be maybe a parent, but maybe you have other younger people in your life that you have an opportunity to parent in some way. So this applies to you as well. Our culture, there is so much pressure, isn't there, in parenting? So much pressure to do it right. And especially in the Christian community. Somehow you've got to do it right. There's a lot of books. We, we tend to get our worth from how our kids are doing. We tend to feel measured by our kids. And so we feel this pressure that I better figure it out and do it right. And believe me, Jeannie and I read a lot of books about that. Uh, I like what Dan Allender says in his book. And by the way, I highly recommend the book to you. It's called How Children Raise Parents. It turns things on its head. How Children Raise Parents. Excellent book to consider and read, no matter what age your children are, just to understand what God may be doing in your own heart as you learn to parent your kids. He says this in the book. One problem in our culture is that we're too child-driven. We spend too much money and time on child-oriented things that compete with the simple and profound appreciation we should feel for our child. In turn, the money and time we spend dragging kids to tennis tournaments, music lessons, debate club, and a legion of other devilish opportunities (laughs) fuels a child's sense of entitlement and a parent's feeling that his child is an excessive drain on energy, time, and money. There has never been an era when parents have spent more time, money, and energy on pleasing their children, on pleasing their children. 
And there's never been an era when children in return have shown their parents less respect, less intimacy, and less honor. Isn't that interesting? We spend all this money and time and energy trying to please our kids and they're less and less honoring, less and less happy, less and less fulfilled. (laughs) There's something wrong with how our culture approaches parenting. We're so afraid of failing. We're so afraid of displeasing our kids, of somehow losing their love at some point, so we feel obligated to somehow give them everything we think they should have and not let them miss any opportunities, and we are driven and we are exhausted. And ultimately, it creates frustration for our kids. So what does Paul say? Two commands he gives us in this one verse. First, it's a negative command. Fathers, do not provoke. Do not exasperate your children. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't stir up frustration in them. Don't stir up a deeper discontent, a rage in their hearts. How do we do that? He doesn't explain it here, but some of you in this room are still struggling with that kind of frustration and anger and resentment and rage because of what your parents did to you growing up. So how do we exasperate children? There's probably a lot of ways we can do that. I thought of seven. Okay, So I'm going to give you seven ways we can exasperate our children. Number one is through neglect. When we just ignore our kids. Our kids are built with a desire and a longing to be loved by us. And when we just are too busy for our kids, we're doing our own thing, we don't have time for them, that creates exasperation and frustration in their hearts. But the opposite, number two, is indulgence. Where we give our kids everything. Where we cater to them. Where we constantly feel like we need to make them happy and give them everything in life so that they don't miss out somehow. You see, that creates anger and frustration in children as well. Not only in our home, but think about when they leave and they find they live in a world that doesn't cater to their every need like we did. That creates tremendous frustration and anger in their lives. It exasperates children. Number three, having a harsh, controlling relationship. When we're hard on them and we want to make sure they toe the line and we try to control everything they do, that creates frustration. There's no freedom for them to be who they are, to express their life and their uniqueness before the Lord, and that creates a greater frustration as well. Number four, being unfair. Now you know this. Uh, if you've seen kids, they have an incredibly high sense of what's fair and isn't fair. That's not fair. How come Joey got to do this and I didn't? And how come whatever? You see, they, they have that sense. And, and there is a sense, not that we have to worry about everything being fair, but we need to have this Commitment to be as fair as possible. Number five, we exasperate our children when we have a critical attitude towards them, a rejection of them as people. You screwed up, you idiot. You're never going to amount to anything. Putting them down for who they are. Number six, I think we exasperate our children when we don't listen to their hearts. When again, we think our idea of who they should be 
is what's most important and we try to make them be a certain way rather than really listening to their hearts and who they are, rather than listening to what they're going through. Now, I, I know it's hard. Children don't communicate very well, but maybe it's listening to the actions be, behind their words and listening to who they are and trying to hear and understand their world I think is important. Otherwise, we exasperate them. Number seven, I think we exasperate our children when we don't do what we say. You know, we tell them they should be a certain way, but then we say, you need to not get so angry at your sister, and then we get angry and they see it right before their eyes. When, when we don't model what we're talking about. So what they feel like is this. What you do shouts so loud, I can't hear what you say. That exasperates children. All of these create frustration. And that carries over into their later lives. So these are things to be avoided in the power of the Spirit to watch out for. The second command is a positive one. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Bring them up. This word is a very interesting one. Bring them up, I don't think is a great translation. It's a word that really means to feed or nurture. In Greek literature, outside of the Bible, it was used of a nursing mother, nursing her infant baby. So think about this. Fathers, in particular, mothers as well, but fathers are being exhorted, treat your children with incredible tenderness, to feed them, to nurture life in them, to look at how God's working and nurture that life of God in them, to encourage the life that God has planted in them as human beings, not control them and shape every behavior. That is not what God calls us to, but to seek to help them grow. You see, we get so worried about them becoming godly, church-going God-honoring adults that we try to shape their behavior and we end up frustrating them and not helping them become who God created them to be at all. Yes, we worry about behavior. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we just don't have that kind of control, folks. We don't. I once asked Howard Hendricks, who's a great Bible teacher and a professor at Dallas Seminary, and he taught a seminar and then we sat down afterwards and I asked him the question. I said, I was just thinking about this. Can you tell me, are there any good examples of good parenting in the Bible where you've got a godly parent, applied godly principles, and they turn out godly kids? Howard Hendricks thought for a minute and he said, I cannot think of one, not one. Even God <laughs> raised Adam and Eve and they rebelled. There were plenty of godly kings who had terribly ungodly children, plenty of ungodly kings who had godly children. Uh, why is that? Why, why are there no good examples in the Bible? I, I think it's meant to be an encouragement to us to remember we don't have the kind of control we think we do. We don't. We have to give our kids freedom. Godly parents applying godly principles don't necessarily turn out godly kids. You see, he, God wants us to relax and trust God and simply invest our lives in our kids, love them well, and trust the results to Him. 
Now, often when this kind of topic is coming up, we think of a particular verse we've been taught, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This verse is misused over and over and over again in Scripture. Literally, it's train up a child according to his way. Whose way? The child's way. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, the encouragement there is to know your child well. To know his particular bent in life, his particular personality. And to adopt your training of him according to that, according to who he is. Appreciating his uniquenesses. And believe me, in parenting, Jeannie and I made plenty of mistakes with that. We kind of learned as we went, like most parents do. But I just want to encourage you to get to know your child and then train them up according to that so that when they're older, they'll be able to express the fullness of who God made them to be as children. That's what that verse is really talking about. So it's being involved in their lives. And this idea of nurturing has the idea of feeding your children, seeking to help them grow. And just as an aside, I just, this made me think about this, feeding our children. I think having dinners together as a family is really important. Okay, I'm just throwing this out. This is extra credit for you or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> our culture, we're so busy running our kids everywhere, we never sit down as a family. I think most of the time you need to be a family together, having meals together, sharing life together. That's where you begin to build relationships. No TV, none of that, but just learn to sit down and get to know each other over a meal uh, regularly. I just think that's critical. So, what does he say about how to do that, how to build into your child? He says two things. Bring them up, nurture them, feed them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does this mean? Discipline or training. What is that? Well, I think he's not saying that you shape everything in your child's behavior. What he's saying is that, look, this is a moral universe in which we live. And if you... It's just like if you step off a cliff, there are immediate consequences, right? You're going to fall and you're going to die. But the moral universe isn't quite that immediate. You can do a bunch of bad things and maybe you won't pay the consequences immediately. So part of our job as parents is to help our, learn, our kids learn that this is a moral universe so that you set boundaries legitimate, good boundaries, and when they cross the boundaries, you bring pain into their lives. This is what the Lord does with us. He brings pain into our lives to help us see, oh, that's not a good choice. You see, what you're doing is not so much shaping your child's behavior, but you're building wisdom into them. That's what we're called to do as parents. Help them learn to make wise choices by bringing pain into their lives when they make poor choices and helping them learn to make better choices. So it helps them learn to choose what is best. This is exactly what God does with us. Hebrews 12 talks about that, how he disciplines us. Same word, by bringing difficulty into our lives. And we don't like it at the time, Hebrews 12 says, but it shapes us and makes us the kind of people who are wise and righteous and able to trust God more. Bring pain to produce wisdom, and to drive out foolishness. That's what we're called to do through discipline. The second word he says, he uses here, is instruction. Now again, I don't think that's a great translation. 
The word for instruction there really is the word for warning or admonition. It's pointing out the dangers of certain choices. I spent quite a bit of time with my three boys talking about and studying through and thinking about the dangers of pornography because it's so rampant in our culture and sexual problems. And I think we need to help our kids see the dangers of spiritual attack that they'll experience, of the danger of seeking power, this danger of living by greed, seeking money, the danger of living by pride and selfishness. You see, that's the admonition he's talking about. If you go here, you will get burned. This is not a good way to go. And just helping them understand the unsafe world in which we live. That's admonition here. Uh, The key, the big picture, I think, of what he's getting at, seek to treat your kids as God treats you. Firm, but loving, intimately involved in their lives, but without getting your worth from your kids, which we tend to do. Learn to get your worth from the Lord. See, I want to suggest this to you, and that is one of the best things, and you may have heard this, but I want to reinforce it, one of the best things you can do for your kids is love the Lord first and love your spouse if you're married. Love the Lord first, put Him first in your life, and love your spouse. And make sure your kids are your third priority. That is so important for children to see they're not the center of the universe, to learn how, what the priorities of life should be. When we put our kids first, it does damage to them. It does great harm. So the best thing you can do is make sure the Lord is first in your life and that your spouse is second and that they are more important than the kids are. And as someone came up to me in between services, they said, yeah, and when you have grandparents, your kids actually go to fourth place. When you are a grandparent, the kids go to fourth place, right? Because the grandkids go ahead of your own kids at that point. (laughs) I thought that was pretty profound. (laughs) This is how the Spirit will lead you to love your kids. To be intimately involved with them, seeking to help them grow in wisdom, giving them a taste of who God is and His love for them, involved in their lives, making sure that you love them, but not making them too high a priority. I want to close with a story from a friend of mine, pastor friend of mine, who says, I have a friend who used to work in the high-tech industry, and he tells this story of how this friend had a huge project, and they were trying to get it done by Christmas Eve so they could spend the vacation with their family. And so they were working hard, and they were, actually had gone to Taiwan to do this in this big software company. And they were working hard. They finally wrapped it up on Christmas Eve, and they were so excited about it. They were exhausted. They returned to their hotels. They were elated. But then they found out that night that someone had broken in and stolen all their computers. All their work was gone. So from memory, they began to work, and they worked and worked to restore it all, all of it. And they finally met uh, the deadline just before New Year's Day. The proposal was accepted, and the team returned home to their families victorious. After returning home, my friend opened his local paper and came across a page of poems written by schoolchildren. One began... Daddy, why did you have to be gone at Christmas? 
It wasn't the same without you. On and on he read of a little girl's broken heart, longing for her father. The last line broke his heart. But Daddy, I'll always love you. When he looked at the name of the poet, he discovered it was his own daughter. Typical of our day, the head of the home was seldom home. Well, the poem impacted him so much, he broke down all his defenses. Convicted about the importance of serving his family, he walked away from his company. He walked away from the promise of stock options and a generous salary. And he took a teaching job at a fraction of the pay. Today, years later, he has no regrets. And he rejoices over the relationship with his daughter. You see, we have a tremendous opportunity to give our children a taste of God's holiness and of God's love. That's our task. And then give them freedom to become whom God has created them to be. Honor your parents, this passage tells us. Nurture your children to give them a taste of who God is so that in due time they will learn to walk with God in their own personal way. Let's pray. Lord, what an encouragement this is to trust you and go to you and submit to you first in our relationship with our parents as we struggle to love them well and in our relationship with our children as we struggle to love them well as well. Teach us, Lord, to rely on you in a way that your life flows through us. Help us to get our worth from you and not from our kids so that they might be free to know you. Guide us, direct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.